This podcast is brought to you by Schweitzer Church. If you want to learn more about us, please visit any of the links in the description. And now, please enjoy the message. Hey, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad you're here with us. Today is part three of our series, The Truth About Lies. And here's the premise of our series. There is a battle of for truth within each of us and all of us collectively. Now, in our day and age, we see this battle for truth front and center. You hear people talk about things like moral relativism, situational ethics. Think about the platitudes that people use. You got to live your truth and, and be who you are and all this kind of stuff. We, if you listen to the news, it's misinformation and disinformation, alternative facts. People say we live in a post-truth society. Truth has become situational, relative, individualistic. But we believe as Christians that truth is revealed to us by God, our creator, revealed in Jesus, his son. And so therefore this battle for truth is not just a battle for ideas, it's a battle that is spiritual in nature. And so we see in the Bible, there is a deceiver, one who's actively seeking to lead us away from truth. This deceiver goes by many titles, the devil, the Satan, the enemy, the tempter, the deceiver. And so as we see from the very beginning of the Bible, the deceiver's plan is to, is to plant deception within us that leads us away from truth. This happens individually as well as collectively. So let's go to Genesis 3. It's where we're starting each of these messages as we see the strategy of the deceiver in action. So Genesis 3, here's how it starts. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, each week in the series, we're starting here in Genesis 3 because this is a pivotal moment in the Bible. Um, Before Genesis 3, life is perfect. It's the Garden of Eden. Life is lived as God intended it. Creation works as God intended it. Genesis 3 introduces sin and all of the destruction that follows um, with the introduction of sin. But it all hinges here on this rebellion of Genesis 3. And as you trace it back, this rebellion is centered. It originates in deception. And so each week what we're doing is we're just taking a little bit of this deception, a little bit of these phrases that these the snake says to the woman and, and lifting this up and unpacking it to understand um, what it is that, that is at the heart of these deceptions. And what we find as we unpack these deceptions are some common and predictable deceptions that plague all of us. So last week we looked at the first thing the snake said, did God really say? Uh, today we'll look at the second thing. Verse four, the snake says to the woman, you will not certainly die. You will not certainly die. Even though that is what God said would happen the chapter before this in Genesis 2, when God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat from that certain tree in the garden, he said there would be consequences to their actions. But here's this lie saying the exact opposite. No, 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 you're not going to die. No, 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 no. 
You, you can do whatever you want. Just, 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 that's not going to happen. You're good. There are no consequences. There is no accountability. There is no judge. Now, last week, as we looked at this lie, did God really say? What, what we noticed here was that this is just a great lie because it's so clever and subtle. And the best lies are subtle. I mean, that lie was just meant to sow seeds of doubt about God's authority over our lives and God's authority over the world. But, but this lie, you will not die. There's nothing subtle about this. This is just an outright lie. It's, it's, it's just, it's just, um, hitting you over the head with this. And now, however, however obvious this lie is, it's amazing to me how lots and lots and lots and lots of people buy into it. You will not certainly die. There is no accountability. There are no consequences. I mean, how many people live their lives with that exact thinking? I mean, let's think about some examples. We just um, got through Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's also the most expensive time of the year. And some of us uh, probably got cut up in the moment, and now we have a balance on a credit card that we don't even want to look at. So what happened? Why did, we, why did we spend more than we have? Why did we think that our actions didn't have consequences? Or think about this, speaking of Christmas, maybe some of us enjoyed those cookies. Or maybe we had some eggnog and uh, just full of calories, even though eggnog is absolutely disgusting. But, but maybe we didn't have just one big Christmas dinner with folks. We had like four. And now on this other side of Christmas, a few weeks out of it, we're discovering that our clothes don't fit quite right. Because it turns out that when you consume a whole bunch of calories and then you, you don't exercise or do anything, then those calories have, have consequences to your actions. Now, if you do this and live like this for years and years and years, there's like serious consequences that come about this. But why do we do this? Why do we start to live like this where we don't believe that those actions will catch up to us, that there are consequences to what we decide to do. And, and I just, you know, gave you a couple of trivial examples of this lie and action. Uh, and those two trivial examples, of course, could have major consequences. I mean, if you're staring down a credit card bill you can't pay or you have diabetes because you've, you've just consumed for, for years and years and you've, you've, you haven't taken care of yourself. I mean, those are not trivial examples, but, but certainly, you know, those kinds of examples I, I offered us are, are, are the kinds of things that lots of us struggle with. You might even say they're common and predictable. But doing this work as long as I've done it, I've had a front row seat to a lot of people's lives. And I've seen this lie lived out with just incredible, incredible destruction. This lie that there are no consequences, there are no, there is no accountability, you will not certainly die, just live for yourself, just, just do what feels good. There is incredible destruction that comes when we begin to live like that. I think about, for instance, this young couple I got to know who started to come to church out of the blue. And not just our church, but, but just started coming to church for the very first time. And a lot of times, not every time, of course, but a lot of times when people start coming to church out of the blue, it's because life is happening and they need help. And so after the first visit to church, they asked for a meeting and we sat down, we scheduled a visit, sat down and talked, and they shared with me how their marriage was on their last leg. This is a young couple, they had little children and they were about to split up. And the reason they were about to split up was because the husband had been addicted to porn for years. And for years, he had, a, he had just dismissed this addiction like it's no big deal, you know? 
Everyone does it kind of, kind of, kind of does, kind of thinking. And, and he's in so deep at this point, he didn't know how to get out and was about to end their marriage because for years he thought there's no accountability. There are no consequences. Or I think about the woman I, I got to know recently who was, for as long as she can remember, has had a temper. And so instead of practicing confession and repentance and trying to lean into the power of the gospel to transform her heart, Instead, she just says things like, well, this is just who I am. I run hot. And the reality is, except sometimes her, her temper makes her say things that she can never take back. It's like she has forgotten the truth and is instead living into this lie that there is no accountability. There are no consequences. Or I think about this man I heard recently talking about how his parents' divorce that happened like 40 years ago I heard him say that after years of therapy, he's finally understanding the trauma that that divorce had on him as a young child, causing residual pain and unforgiveness and deep fear in his life. Like his parents thought, well, this is what we need to do for us. There are no consequences. It's not going to really hurt anybody else, but it sure impacted him for decades to come. You see, there is a lie that is in front of us. You will not certainly die. There is no accountability. There are no consequences. There is no judge. You, you just be happy, be yourself. You do you, you know, live your authentic self because this is, you know, what's really important after all. What's most important in life is just, just be happy. And so, well, this kind of thinking that, that so many of us buy into is a recipe for disaster. And there's no question about it. This is a common and predictable lie that has that Satan has whispered into our ear that so many of us have have come to believe that let's just live for today let's just be ourselves let's just seek happiness when in reality that just brings all kinds of destruction in reality the truth is you will certainly die there is accountability there are consequences there is a judge that you will stand in front of and this truth of accountability to God is actually good news. So let's explore um, some, some of the Bible's teaching around this accountability. And let's go to something Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6. And I want you to listen to how Paul describes the, the accountability that we have um, as we stand before God. So we're going to start reading in, in chapter 6, verse 12 of Romans. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Now, before we move on, let's talk about that word sin for just a second. Um, because for a lot of us, when we hear that word sin, we think about bad behavior. We think about the bad things we do. But re really what this word means is, is much deeper than just doing bad things. It's, it's really about the deep dysfunctions that plague us all. So when you think about sin, you know, don't just think about the bad things you do, but think about how we seek to find purpose in empty and wrong things. Think about the selfishness that we just continue to live into. Think about how we live reactively in fear and those kinds of things. Think deep dysfunctions in life. That's really what we're talking about here. So don't let that kind of life reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you were not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace, which by the way, this is how a lot of immature Christians think. 
that it doesn't really matter what I do because God has to forgive me. Very, very immature, classic thinking um, from a lot of immature Christians. Paul says, by no means don't live like that. That's not what we're talking about here. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. For you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Now, I wouldn't say that slavery is a great example of everyday life for us. Those of us who don't live in first century Rome, where 20% of the population was enslaved. So so maybe a a better example for us of of everyday example of life would be something more like, like addiction. I mean, lots and lots of people around us live with addiction. And so in a similar way, if Paul was writing this today, he might say something like this. He might say, don't use your body to feed your addiction to yourself and to your sin. But instead, use your body to feed your addiction to God. Because whatever you obey, you will crave, whether it's your sinful nature or whether it's God and his righteousness. Keep reading here. Just as you used to offer yourselves to slaves, as slaves, I'm sorry, to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you are slaves to sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Verse 23, very famous verse of the Bible. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I wanted us to go here because the truth of accountability and consequences is on full display here. It's very, very clear, especially the last verse, the wages of sin is death. Now, when we say the wages of sin is death, we really mean that in three ways. There's death, and then there's like death, and then there's really death. (laughs) So let's unpack this, kind of three ways we think about this, this death that, uh, that the wages of sin bring to us. So first, there is a way of life that is the way of death. There's a way of life that is the way of death. While you are alive, you are experiencing the way of death. This is the way of destruction and dysfunction and brokenness. It's the way of sin. This is why sometimes people talk about things in our life as dying. So um, you might hear someone talk about the death of a marriage or the death of a career or death of joy or the, the death of our ambitions, the death of our plans. And it's because this is a way of life that leads to death. So when Paul talks about the, the uh, metaphor of slavery, or as I, as I put it, addiction, he's talking about this way that we become captive to the way of destruction where we just feed into this over and over and over again. So we're still alive, our hearts are still beating, we still have brain function, we're still alive, our bodies are still alive, but the way that we are living is the way of destruction because the consequences that come from our own choices, our own sin, um, or the sin of others, it, it actually has impact on us. There's actual consequences to how we live. As the Bible says elsewhere, we reap what we sow. And so there is a way of life that is the way of death. And there are many of us 
who don't understand that dynamic. And so we just continue to go down the same path with greater and greater um, focus on that, greater and greater addiction to that, you could even say, that leads us to greater and greater destruction. Because in reality, we are just reaping what we sow, and so we are continually living in the, in the consequences of our actions that is the way of death. Then there's a second kind of death that we also reap. And this is an actual kind of death, like our bodies cease to function. And this kind of death where we stop breathing, our hearts stop beating, our, our brains start to fun- stop functioning, this kind of death, this reality in, in Western culture is very, very uncomfortable for us. And so as, as obvious as it is that we all are going to die, this is a, a truth we all know, we don't want to acknowledge this. And as Westerners, it's not something we think about very often or something that we're very comfortable with. This is why um, we use all kinds of euphemisms. Instead of saying that someone actually died, we say things like, well, he's, he's resting in peace or she's in a better place. Or, or he passed away. We use all these euphemisms because we're so uncomfortable with this. And as long as there have been people, people have been uncomfortable with, with this. We've been looking for the fountain of youth so we can live forever. I mean, did you know that right now in Silicon Valley, there are computer scientists who are exploring how through AI, we will be able to upload our consciousness to the cloud. And as ridiculous as that sounds, like that is a real aim of people, um, it's called mind uploading. You can, you can look this up, but as ridiculous as that sounds, it's a true aim. What do you think drives that? Isn't it just this, this lie? You will not certainly die. Is there a way around this, this path of death that is before us? C.S. Lewis wrote this incredible book called The Screwtape Letters. I've recommended it in this uh, message series. It's one of those books I think every Christian needs to read. It's so good. It's funny. It's clever. It's smart. It's thought provoking. It's a a series of letters written by C.S. Lewis from one demon to another. So he's writing in the voice of an older demon, mentoring a younger demon on how to wreck someone's life. And one of the points of, of mentoring, of advice this older demon gives to the younger demon is to confuse this person that he's, that he's tormenting here about the reality of death. So the, the book's uh, Screwtape Letters was written during World War II. And so there's a lot in it about war and patriotism and that kind of thing. But, but, um, ignoring the reality of death becomes a, a, a strategy then of these demons. And so I want you to I want you to hear what C.S. Lewis writes here, the voice of this older demon. He writes this, quote, Consider, too, what undesirable deaths occur in wartime. Men are killed in places where they knew they might be killed and to which they go, if they are at all of the enemy's party prepared. Now, by enemy here, we mean Christ because this is in the voice of a demon. So if they belong to Christ, they go into battle. Again, this is context World War II. So they go into battle with their soul prepared. He goes on. How much better for us if all humans died in costly nursing homes amid doctors who lie, nurses who lie, friends who lie, as we have trained them, promising life to the dying, encouraging the belief that sickness excuses every indulgence, and even if our workers know their job, withholding all suggestion of a priest, lest it should betray to the sick man his true condition. And how disastrous for us is the continual remembrance of death which war enforces. And then this great line, one of our best weapons, contented worldliness is rendered useless. In wartime, not even a human can believe that he is going to live forever. You see, 
there is wisdom in confronting and acknowledging and embracing the reality of death. This is one reason why once a year, a Christian tradition, we take ashes and we place them on our forehead at the beginning of Lent and we say something like, from ashes we have come and from ashes we go, or we are but dust and to dust we will return. Or when I was in seminary, I used to have this professor who used to say, it is the job of the church to teach people how to die. Why? Well, because that's a truth that they're not, people aren't gonna hear anywhere else. Or John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist revival, used to say this, he used to say, Methodists die well. And by the word Methodist, he didn't mean like people who belong to a certain denomination because that wasn't a thing then. What he meant was those who were experiencing this revival at the time, those who live in their life in the right kind of way with the right kind of priorities, focused on the right thing, centered in Christ, they died well because they were ready for death because they had lived their life in the right kind of way. And of course, the Bible has all kinds of wisdom for us about understanding and knowing that we are going to die. I think about um, Psalm 90. This is the only Psalm written by Moses in the Bible. And Moses writes this, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, we will live with wisdom when we understand our own mortality. Where Jesus taught this in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross. In other words, they must deny themselves Right? Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Or Paul taught in Galatians 2 the same kind of approach. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Why is there wisdom in embracing this kind of mentality that understands our death? Why is there wisdom in understanding and acknowledging and, 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 and appreciating this? Why is there wisdom in practicing a way of life that is about self-sacrifice and self-denial? Why, why is this? Well, because there's a third kind of death. The wages of sin is death. And this third kind of death is eternal. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That doesn't just mean that we reap what we sow in this life and we experience destruction right now. And it doesn't just mean that we will die in our bodies one day as our bodies give out, but it also means that there is eternal death, eternal separation from life with God, eternal separation from God. But that verse goes on because that's not the final word here. The verse goes on, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now the wages are what we earn from our own actions. The gift is what's given to us by God's love and mercy. The gift of life, eternal life, is ours to receive. Now when I understand this then, my path is either gonna be life or it's gonna be death. It's either gonna be eternal life or eternal death. And then when I understand that, then I need to be ready to eternally, to, to receive this gift of, of life into, into my life, to begin walking with Christ, to submit to Christ, to begin honoring Him and acknowledging Him, to pick up my cross, to deny myself, to practice the way of self-sacrifice, to practice the way of self-denial, because that is the path to true life. So there's this old, old lie. You will not certainly die. This lie is common and predictable. It's the lie that we should just live for today. Just be happy. Just to, you do you. You, you, 
be yourself. It's, it's this lie of, of embracing that there's no accountability, there are no consequences, there is no judge, and so therefore just do what feels good and, and uh, live for today because that's all you've got. This lie is common, it's predictable, and it traps all of us in different kinds of ways. And it is a lie that Satan will use to destroy us. So a question we need to be asking ourselves that I've offered up as we've gone through the series is not just this question of, am I deceived? But rather, we have to understand that these lies are common, they're predictable, they're things all of us are going to struggle with in some way or another. And so we need to be asking ourselves, not am I deceived, but rather, how am I deceived? How have I bought into this lie? And while deception is really easy to see in other people, it's really hard to see in ourselves. And so one of the best ways that you can see this deception at work in our lives is by the fruit of our lives. The lies of the devil are destructive. So where do you see destruction happening in your life? Where do you see dysfunction? Where, where do you struggle with fear and worry? Where do you find yourself struggling with maybe the same temptation and sin over and over and over again? Where is there conflict without resolution? Where is there unforgiveness? Where do you have addiction? These are the destructions that we might want to pay attention to as we start to think to ourselves, how have I believed this lie? How am I deceived? As we look at those destructions and those dysfunctions, we need to ask ourselves, do I continue to struggle with that thing, with that person, with that temptation, with that fear? Do I continue to live in this, in this kind of way that brings pain because I've come to believe that there are no consequences, that I can do whatever I want, that there is no accountability, that there is no judge. It's a common and predictable lie that we begin to believe that we can live however we want because there are absolutely no consequences. But when we realize this is a lie, when we begin to submit to the accountability to God, we don't find our lives more restricted we actually find more freedom. Because as we live and walk with him, we find the path, not to death, but to life and life eternal. Let's pray. And so Father, today as we confront this lie, there is no accountability. <clears throat> there, is no, there are no consequences. There is no judge. You will not certainly die. We just want to have a clear mind to understand how it is that we may have fallen into this trap. A common and predictable deception that is demonic in nature. A common and predictable deception that keeps us trapped in addiction, keeps us in conflict with others, doesn't force us to face our own problems and our own sin through prayer and confession allows us just to continue to limp along with the same temptation, the same sin, year after year after year, because we believe there is no, there are no consequences, there is no accountability, there is no judge. The truth is we will stand before you. We will give an account of our life, and that there is a way of life that leads to you, that leads to life, and there's a way of life that leads to death. The death of today through the destruction that we reap, the death where our bodies actually give out, and the death that is eternal. And so, Father, today we want to receive the gift of life that we find in Christ Jesus. For some of us, this is 
maybe the first time we've ever done this or for others, maybe returning to you after, after wandering on our own for some time, we just wanna to return to you with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? And would you lead my life? Because in you, that's what we find, is we find life. We thank you for your mercy and your grace that you offer to us, that when we turn to you, we find life. It's the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Schweitzer podcast. We hope you found this message to be helpful and encouraging. If you enjoyed this experience, please remember to share us with your friends and neighbors. Thanks again for stopping by and remember, you are loved.